0: it is okay good morning good morning good morning morning. uh hi all right let me let me get some levels here uh there okay there you are how's it going good brock i think um yeah i uh i just noticed this morning when i was counting uh numbers that we are this is episode number 26 um which means we've I mean, there's 52 weeks in a year, so this is like our half birthday. Whoa! Yeah.
1: Okay. I thought maybe it was something more, like under certain base number systems, this would be important, like a
0: whole. Oh, I see. No, I mean 25 would have also been a good one to like stop and reflect on, but I forgot. So here we are at 26. Um at our half birthday. Uh, So I might as well reflect on it now, you know, or uh, Cameron, Cameron and Brock are two people. I'm Cameron. This is Brock. I don't know the voice. There's a lot of things that I thought would kind of like come out in the wash as we did the podcast and we would never have to actually talk about, but like switching to talking to the, to the to the readers uh, voice never has never really smoothed out for me. Um, Some podcasts, they never acknowledge them. Uh, I don't know I don't know, I don't have a good solution for this uh, but it, it always, it's always felt weird wait uh,
1: uh, okay first hold on a second second mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you what you're talking about again I'm moving a cord
0: okay <laughs> it's going great we're so much better at this than we were a half year ago what I was talking about are you there I'm going to drink this coffee. Thanks, uh, uh, listeners, for listening. Delicious. Is he there? Okay. All right, this is Cameron Brock or Two People, a podcast in which Cameron Brock uh, are two people. Um, are okay. Doing this for- Oh, there you are. I'm okay.
1: here. That was incredible. The front panel on my computer had it's an interesting effect off. where – Oh. any sound coming through my headphones was also being picked up by the recording line which is not the case on the back panel
0: oh yeah um i i that was a problem early on with this podcast as i i had you too high in my headphones and i could hear you too much in the recorded uh recorded recording and you ever really hear me too much though I mean, I already have this other track of you, so <laughs> audio isolation <laughs> of you. The goal With, is for one day just to be just, me, just stereo you mm-hmm. coming from yep. two, two different places a thousand miles away. <laughs> oh. One day. So what I was saying, I think, is that the uh, the nature of the voice of referring to the the listenership uh, had never has never felt. Uh, natural in any way. So I always feel kind of goofy saying like momentarily taking it aside from talking directly to you, which is really this podcast is about a frank and earnest discussion um, between two peers as they are both 35 from the ages of 31 to 39 uh, as it were. Um, But, uh, but uh, the, the occasionally I do feel the need to say, well, listeners, here's a, here's a, um, Uh, a little aside for you so you understand what the hell we're talking about um it never feels right would
1: it be better if we just pretended that we really didn't think anyone was ever going to listen to this i mean sort of had a private conversation be like well listen if anybody ever found out about this uh those kind of things
0: explicitly (laughs) i think well i just dropped my pen That's a very uh very professional so far um yeah i mean i don't that's one option is that we go full uh if i hope no one's recording this uh style podcast uh we'll have to invent sort of a third character that does the uh like the post descriptions and stuff because at that point the uh, the whole uh scenario is that they are somehow obtaining these recordings later and oh, posting them up yeah, yeah
1: going to be one of those found footage type of situations. Uh
0: Yeah. At the one-year anniversary, it'll be a podcast of them talking about what the links that they go to record us or to steal our recordings that we are so careful to keep private.
1: Yeah, or somehow we've gone missing, and it's sort of a serial-style podcast about what happened to the least-listened-to podcast on... (laughs) iTunes. (laughs) ITunes.
0: <laughs> on the upside that does give us an excuse to not record it anymore like an in in universe <laughs> excuse oh yeah nah we're uh, trapped no it's it's in mike in, like most podcasts successful or not you're you kind of feel obligated to do it until uh the end of time um the uh so the 20 or 26 episodes in uh, you can email us at Cameron Brock at com. We did get... I'm not going to read it because it was very, it was more of like a personal, hey, how you doing kind of note. But we did get an email from Morgan a couple of weeks ago. Wow. Yeah. She uh, she complimented our podcast and then also um, recognized the, the opener song that I use, which is a song by a band called Shapiro. Have we talked about... I think we did at least mention it on the, yeah, on the show. Yeah, we did once. Yeah. But she, uh, she, I actually gave her a mix CD with Shapiro on it back in like the early early aughts, and she recognized it from that. So that's pretty cool. All right,
1: dedicated.
0: I, I used it as sort of a shout out to to folks from times gone by, and also because it's a live recording of a band that no longer exists. So I felt like I was probably in the clear from a rights standpoint.
1: <laughs> Much less uh, romantic vision there, but. Practical, nonetheless. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe I've, she can get interviewed by the future mystery
0: podcast. Right. Like, she she saw the signs uh, as early as episode 24. It's the right one she mailed in. Yeah. No, there, uh, there was no, there was no, uh, are, are you guys okay, sort of <laughs> wording in the email. So, I don't think she saw the signs, frankly. So, she'll be bluffing at that point. Uh when they when they go back through a year of the podcast before the disappearance <sighs> well uh <laughs> we did it uh half a year of uh of banter um i uh i uh i i woke up this morning at six forty five Laid in bed for 10 minutes and then told you I'd be ready in 15, which has pretty much become my sort of routine. Well, the good (laughs) news was
1: I was actually awake this morning, so that's a change. mm
0: -hmm. It's true. Well, you occasionally missing a uh, Monday morning time slot makes me feel better about me continually missing it by like 15 minutes a day. You missed it by 24 hours, so I feel like it's a good balance.
1: Yeah, you've Um, got like a large buffer, although I started to count on the delay. So, the day that you're on time, i'm gonna be scrambling,
0: oh yeah, I mean i that's uh that's how that's how I tend to work my did your uh family set the clock ahead when you were a kid?
1: No, not regularly that's not that wasn't like a thing in my family. I do sometimes I set abigail's clocks ahead whenever I'm able to. <laughs>
0: Oh, now I have two questions. <laughs> number one, uh, s- how does she feel about you manipulating her sense of space-time? And number two, w- does she have separate clocks?
1: I think the only yeah, clock he- that it is consistently useful with is the car clock. Because uh, oh. she has a car that she mostly exclusively drives. And... Uh, I never found the setting the clock ahead thing very useful because I just adapted to knowing what time it actually was very quickly. Right. But she's not that type of person. She knows that it's been set ahead, but she she's not a very time-specific oriented person. I don't know how to, else to put that. But, um, yeah, so I th- it actually does have a positive effect because... In the event that she does look at the clock, it's more of like a visceral, you know, feeling like if she can feel like she's already late for something, then she'll proceed like most people would proceed if they're about to be late for something. And, uh, and even though she knows, it's just, I don't know, sort of has this, uh, effect of changing her, uh, gears or what have you and uh yeah it works out i wouldn't do it if i didn't think someone knew like there's, well i've did it to, i've done it to my kids
0: before <laughs> oh well. just in
1: a very specific circumstance
0: uh, it did work I see I was fixing to say that this was a an, a relic of the um, pre-internet or pre-smartphone era, specifically because now we all everyone's clock is always synchronized all the time because of the fact that most people's clock is their phone or their you know smart watch or whatever. But uh, I I'm impressed that Abigail has not uh, that she not that like. Uh, I feel like a side effect of everyone's clock being in their on their phone and completely trustworthy is that uh, I've completely lost whatever like tiny ability I once had to uh, convince myself that the five minutes ahead clock was correct like that that ability or whatever you want to call it has uh, has shrivelled away to nothing so I re- i'm impressed that she can still engage that particular neuron and sort of like selectively fire off the, Oh God, I'm going to be late, uh, motivator, the extra gear, sort
1: of the ability to be in a miniature temporary reality, uh, situational reality at any given moment and make that your entire reality. Um, I don't have that ability very
0: developed, Mm -hmm. Um, it seems it's the more we describe it, the more useful it sounds. Right. Frankly. I mean, it,
1: it it comes with an extremely high potential price, which is that you um, you lose contact with important outer realities that wind up creating consequences after right. that moment. But if you can harness that energy,
0: it's uh, it's like superpower. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, if you, if you just dip in just a tiny, tiny bit, like, uh, we're not going to, we're going to go full arts alternate reality. We're just going to take the time, like the actual timeline, not that like JFK wasn't shot timeline, just the like the time there is five minutes faster timeline. Like you're just skimming right off the top of that alternate reality in a way that makes you on time for things. That is, it's like, uh, yeah, it's a, um, it's like how, uh, I'm trying to think of a well, I lost it. But the, a variety of X-Men have powers that are incredibly <laughs> dangerous, but it, like they just use them for fairly like blasé things. Yeah, um, and
1: this person's just always on time, and they're like, "How are you always on time?" And they're like, "That's my secret. I'm always a little late." And then
0: they're like, "Okay, I'm, I'm always a little." Late. <laughs> The, uh, it's like, there's a, um, apocryphal star Wars, uh, book called splinters of splinter of the mind's eye that, um, Lucas hired a guy to write after the first star Wars movie. And before they wrote empire strikes back, because I, I, you know, story, the, uh, the stories are relatively conflicted, but I think that he, at the time, was planning on making Star Wars like a serial, like uh, like Flash Gordon style, like tons of movies, and it was so everything was just going to become like a further adventures of kind of thing, right? So he, he hired them to make Splinter of the Mind's Eye. It's the guy who actually wrote the Star Wars novelization, even though it says by George Lucas. George Lucas has not written a novel himself, <laughs> to my to my understanding. Um, but uh, Alan Dean Foster wrote this other story that um is bizarre to read in any context now because in it like luke and leia are like uh th- their romance builds uh a lot in that book <laughs> and there's no han solo and they're basically spend the whole movie trapped on a, a jungle planet i want and see i'm gonna get some of this wrong but i i want to say that like it was written to be more filmable like a as sort of a low budget option um, to, uh, different stories. So like, there's no space stuff in it at all. It's, it's weird. Anyway, uh, one of the weird things about it that, um, didn't translate to proper Star Wars canon is that the, uh, the lightsabers are adjustable and there's a scene where, uh, I believe Luke turns his lightsaber on, but just like a tiny bit and he uses it to like pick a lock. <laughs> <laughs> So that's that was that was what came to my mind in terms of this this superpower that we're talking about. It's like, so a, teeny, tiny, a, like tiny, to, to a tiny tiny needle.
1: lightsaber needle. Okay, <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. I mean, I do um, like that we're laughing about the idea that a made up thing would work slightly
0: differently. Right. Can you believe it's so absurd? A tiny lightsaber? A tiny lightsaber? Un- unthinkable. Drool. <laughs> How droll. Uh my family grew up with the uh clocks all five minutes fast all the time. Um definitely. I, I do not think they do it anymore because of the aforementioned like uh like phone thing. I, I haven't that's the thing is like even though I've visited them, I haven't checked the like the oven clock or whatever to see what time it is. I mean, uh, recently at all so i have no idea i, don't, I don't, don't use those it. clocks anymore i do you
1: you know what's more affecting is if for some reason a clock gets behind even one that's oh. just sitting around the house because the moment you glance at it and you're in a hurry yeah know, that's gonna a trouble
0: you. yeah i we have a um we have a an analog like a it's actually just from ikea like a extremely minimal sort of what you think of when you think of a clock clock on the wall. And it does occasionally drop a couple minutes. I feel like it's not very consistent, but I will look up and realize that it's like 90 seconds behind or so. And like, it doesn't take much. I run a, I run a tight ship in the morning in the sense that I get to work exactly almost late all the time. Um, and if that clock gets slow, I do end up very in trouble because I will glance at that clock. And it's just, I mean, we're talking like an analog clock with a, you know, it runs on a AA battery or whatever. It's there, so my children know how to read clocks. I, I feel so like that's a very important thing.
1: Let's reiterate
0: uh-huh. now
1: the fact that clocks with any precision didn't exist not that long ago. I'm going to have to look it up, but i I'm, I'm always genuinely surprised when I realize how recently in human history... Actual clocks have existed. And my conclusion is that I really wish I lived before clocks existed. How do you feel about that?
0: I mean, I feel that way about websites. So you just keep going back for a while and end up at clocks. Um, And that's, yeah, sure.
1: Hold on. You you wish websites didn't exist? Is that what you're saying?
0: I... Do you not i mean fairly regularly pine for the uh the a world prior to being able to literally what I did this morning which is wake up turn over unlock my phone and see that the president of the country threatened a foreign power in all caps on a bullshit messaging service to the entire world
1: <laughs> I missed that one
0: so Oh no maybe he I just he need to not Oh sh- my phone. shit yeah you probably should just don't go on twitter uh, today or ever um, I or feel, the news yeah like twitter yeah so <sighs> I, 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 I i agree th- yeah.
1: that you run into the situation pretty quickly where you know 50 percent of people are dying if you, that aren't today that if you go back too far so right i think yeah. if there was a way to just selectively remove technology i'd be up for that so I mean, first, uh, first order business: clocks are gone. You want the internet oh, entirely, or just like web certain websites gone?
0: Oh, this is a very sort of like progressive regressive thing you have going on here. Because you're correct, you can't you can't pine for the days of yore uh, necessarily, because every day of yore had its own sort of like garbage that was happening at the time. You can't overshoot. Right. Uh, As a white technology. male, I'm pretty
1: safe going far back, but not right. so much for a lot of other people
0: right exactly there's there's the uh you you it doesn't take you long at all to overshoot even though like a minor progression in civil rights that we've made like you end up in the 70s and all of a sudden not every place is desegregated and then it just gets worse from there and eventually you end up in like uh the the 20s when we were still putting arsenic and hot dogs and little children were making all of your stuff and a factory in detroit or whatever yeah um, i know
1: those hot dogs were dangerous but i've never had them and so we don't know if they were better
0: oh they well they might have been tastier i haven't personally yeah um and then like that's on a maybe but um this is by the way this is why homeschooling tends to fetishize like uh uh the the colonial era is because if you start moving if you're if you're in sort of like a um uh a environment that um fetishizes the american past i need to stop using that word uh yeah, it's that, a little upsetting it's a little intense yeah uh if if you if you want to look at with rose colored goggles at some <laughs> like some uh
1: <laughs> i'm I mean, sorry uh, i'm just imagining abigail <laughs> buying a new like period colonial outfit and asking me if i like it
0: um. Well, I mean, I I definitely grew up with some kids who uh, that was their summer job was to wear three cornered hats at colonial uh, historical town and tour people around. But there's like you have to the the, the reason that you end up back there uh, is that you start moving backwards and you can't you can't stop the train at any point in the civil rights uh, situation. And then you go a little bit further than that is, like, the 20s, which were actually super full of excess. Like, the the 20s were, like, the 80s, right? They're just, like, super over-the-top, um, extreme wealth disparity. Uh, and so you keep going back, and eventually you're in, like, uh, reconstruction and the Civil War. Can't stop there. Keep going. And then the early 1800s, there's nothing to really hang your hat on, as it were. Well, okay, um, so if
1: we just... If we limit it to technology and less to uh, social progress, we might be able to handle that.
0: No, I think that, like, sorry, I I went – I was – overall, this is an extended reflection on how how good your framing is. (laughs) Because my (laughs) point was that eventually – you can't stop that train until you get back to, like, a freaking – like This is why the Tea Party is the Tea Party and, and nothing else, because they, they couldn't stop and idealize any other point in American history, because it's all problematic in different ways. So, going forward, uh, slash backward, um, we're, so if we start with eliminating clocks, I feel like you're really pulling the rug out of the entire, uh, entire room um, before you even begin right there. How are you going to keep all that furniture in place with the rug gone?
1: Without the clocks? Uh-huh, well, I gotta
0: know, but maybe, maybe I'm go. asking the wrong question uh.
1: um I- even when they had clocks, they weren't able to like know for sure what time it was at another clock because
0: didn't were- you wasn't there a number that you called? I could be making this so isn't that why the um dial tone or whatever was like at the chime it will be four oh five bang, like that kind of thing we well, we're already in. The phone era. Oh, oh, you're talking like pre phone.
1: Yeah, like Um, you sent a guy on a train and he got to the stop and he's like, I got the clock for you. And then he tells (laughs) you what the clock is in, you know, Germantown down the way. And then you set your clock. And then the next day he comes back through.
0: uh, At some point, I guess you go far enough back, you have to have like regional specialists. And then, like uh, you know, they're they're going straight to the stars with the clock, right? Is that Boy. star star clocks? I mean, we got time from somewhere, and it was. I can't, it was couldn't a, you use I,
1: like? I'm sure was, you can use. Uh, well, okay, a sextant's for navigating, but there's <laughs> something to do with knowing your location on the Earth and the angle of the sun uh-huh. in two different positions and. I don't know. I would prefer it just be like, "Sun's mighty high in the sky." I think it's time to get on down to Jeb's place. Yeah, right. And we're gonna get rid of modern names. I prefer the more, you know. It's only relative to my age. I'm sure Jeb was a pretty like modern name back in that. Oh yeah,
0: day. he was the he was the Aiden of the time.
1: Yeah. Right. So you know, all these parents are naming their kids Jeb nowadays. Like there's some <laughs> kind of freaking aristocracy. <laughs>
0: Uh, ooh. I, I, man, wait.
1: Okay. So you want to get rid of websites or the internet in
0: general? I mean, I make websites, but I pine for the, the, my childhood that was free of websites often. I I can't, I'm not 100% sure if it's because it was my childhood or because websites weren't there. It's probably both though. I, To be like a a 13-year-old now and face down the possibility of having to make your first like email account and or social media account seems awful. I feel bad for all Mm, all children in 2018.
1: Yeah, I think in some ways I'm wondering if it doesn't just accelerate our um, situation more broadly to try to... It forces us to have to answer broader questions with society and everything where everything's connected and all the information's out there. And all of a sudden there's nowhere to hide locally. There's nowhere to have a discussion between, you know, the hundred people, you know, well, some of whom aren't from the place that you are currently living originally and sort of work amongst yourselves and your knowledge of history from some books um, What you think it's so it's uh, the information is so pervasive and whole and current opinions are flooding around like crazy that you can't you you feel like you have to make a decision about the, the history of humanity and where we're going to go from here at every little moment. Um, yeah. And it seems like a little paralyzing, and I would rather la- have less of a decision to make. I mean, like you were talking about, if you go back in time through society, how quickly it seems to become problematic. But everyone's a product of their time, all of the people that really did contribute. And it's not just America. Pick any country. Ones that you know we say were col- – colonized.
0: Before Mm -hmm.
1: that, they had their own societies with their own, you know, versions of oppression. So everybody's a product of their time. And so everybody sort of has a frame of reference, even nearly impossible to get outside of. But now, where is the frame of reference? It's almost like it's expanded so broadly that you're you can't look back and be like, "Well, you know, I was a product of that." It's sort of like you have no excuse. You better get it right this time. There is no limit to your knowledge. Uh,
0: you would. I feel like what we've ended up in is like a that that would be fine. I think. I guess if the knowledge that was available in my pocket at all times on this phone was all correct, <laughs> I think that would uh, that would make a that would feel better. Um right now I could go to R slash flat Earth or whatever and or Kim Trails or what have you. Like the the problem is the the uh all of this information is available and yet what we've ended up in is some sort of weird uh See, I'm not, I I am one of those people who like, I don't think that the um, general group of people insisting that there is a flat earth in 2018 are on the up and up. I really don't. I think that it's like a combination of people who are doing it for the lulls and um, people who are, you know, actually get off on uh, messing with people who they perceive to be of lower intellect than them or whatever. So like, but you know, it's this. Uh, we are we have all this information; it's all readily available. Uh, the the uh, That does not result in all of us uh, volunt- like having no choice about what to believe. Even though, on some level, that would be like slightly better. Um, you, you know, when you got the the uh, when you got your phone. And your access to the internet, you had to sign some sort of paper that like covered maybe like a few dozen basic tenets of what our understanding of reality is. And you just had to, <laughs> had to go ahead and like, look, here's the earth, it's round. Um, Planes make these themes called uh, it's called vapor trails that come off the wings, uh, you know. And then, it, you know, it just goes on for a couple of pages like that and kind of knocks out some of the kind of low hanging reality fruit. Um, that's not the situation. So, do so you
1: think that that's a problem? I I think that
0: I don't know. It's just that the it's a availability
1: problem. of information produces an anxiety in sure. us that there doesn't seem to be any confirmation that we're doing enough or we're making right decisions. Like, surely you've felt like you can't rest knowing that you there's always something you should be doing. Or there's always a need to evolve your understanding a little more because there's no excuse not to try because there's there's always that available to you. Whereas Wait. before, you don't know what's going on everywhere. You feel like you can get sort of a handle on, I'm doing as much as I can, and I know as much as I can in this moment. And yeah. I feel like I, I lose that feeling in the modern age of all of this. And though I absolutely love the availability of information and wouldn't trade it a way to reduce that anxiety. At least that's my current opinion.
0: Well, uh, I think that like, Oh, sorry. No, there was a comma I, that's there. pretty much it. Oh, uh, well, the, I, I think that the, uh, the weird prevalence of, of, um, borderline, well, things that ranging from, bad faith arguments down the line to obviously absurd things that for some reason have been catching on again, uh, is all, uh, some of it is just a coping mechanism for this exact problem. Like the, the, uh, absurd availability of everything. Like how does your brain handle that? Like how, how do you as a human being handle the access and, and, and responsibility and sort of like overwhelming uh, availability of all this information and, uh, the, what you're saying, like the almost like a constant sense of failure that you have because you're, you are not a, you are, your brain, your, your intellect is not a gas. It does not like disperse all the way into every, any container it, w- it is put into, right? Like the, I'll uh, speak for yourself. Well, I mean, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, you, the yeah. way, as you describe it, like the, the feeling, like you have all this information and as such are failing at it because you, uh, the bar is so high, uh, effectively, infinitely high. Every Wikipedia page is there. Um, and that's just like the top level, right? It's like, even if I did look at 40 Wikipedia pages a day, eventually I'm just a Wikipedia guy. I need to be reading research papers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but like, yeah, you, you, where, where was, what am I saying? Like the, the, it is easy to idealize the world where you don't have all of this stuff available. But then again, the world where you don't have that stuff available is the one where you are, um, you are back in the world of pseudoscience and like, I don't know, salting the clouds to make it rain or something so you get your crops to grow. Like these salting little bit. the, salting the
1: clouds. That yeah, was really a really short-lived fad, <laughs> and all of the plants died. Didn't they, sh-
0: didn't they shoot something? Some powder? Silver arrow. iodine. Thank you. I think. Yeah.
1: yeah, seeding the cloud. You know, that's actually that actually works. Really? Um, yeah. They. I mean, I think that they were hoping that it would do more. Um, oh. But they try to dissipate the energy from the atmosphere that way before it gets to somewhere else. It needs to be. I don't know.
0: So generally,
1: geoengineering that, is frowned upon.
0: So I, you and I, I, I think that are from a generation that feels uh, sort of obligated towards some concepts uh, based on because we saw them appear and we saw them get really hot, and everyone think that they were very necessary. Uh, like the, what I mean is like, we were there when Friendster launched and when MySpace launched and when Facebook launched and when, uh, MySpace went to like the top eight thing you took that really seriously. You got to get those top eight friends, right? I don't know if you did, but I did. Um, or <laughs> it, there was, you know, there, we, we went from zero. Like I remember making a um, hotmail. I remember being 12 and thinking that email was stupid. And telling people that I thought email was stupid. And then eventually making my Hotmail did. account. Uh, RogueLeader27 at Hotmail.com um, was my Hotmail account.
1: Brock and
0: Lee. Brock what? Brock Lee. Nice. At hotmail.com, I believe. That's a L-E-E, right? Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. Would have been really good if that was indeed your middle name, which it is not. It would um, not
1: be really good.
0: <laughs> I mean,
1: I would, for the rest of my life, no matter what they did, I would question my parents' intents, intellects, everything they they ever said. True. true. A, sorry. Triggered.
0: Go ahead. <laughs> well, we saw all these things, and um, the things were sort of validated because they built on previous things and made them better. Uh, so I don't think there was a – you know, it's like email or, or you know, uh, Friendster – MySpace was clearly better than Friendster in every way. Facebook was a – I don't know. if Better is the right word, but like a less chaotic, um, less abusable—at least at the time—version of MySpace. Google was a huge relief from uh, oh man, both both it. like WebMail and also the quality of web search in general. Like Alta Vista was just a great way to accidentally get porn results, and like Yahoo was bad and slow. And so, like you had all these things, and they they showed up, and uh, you know, Twitter showed up, and and all of a sudden. Um, you, you were finding out news on Twitter faster than anywhere else, which unfortunately is still in the case, uh, is still the case. But I, I, I wonder, um, even, uh, anecdotally, I don't think that kids who grew up with those things already existing, uh, don't seem to feel like they are as necessary, Right, like I a a minute ago, I was like, "Oh, a thirteen-year-old, you know, getting their first uh, email account and social media accounts." I mean, the I don't know that a thirteen-year-old who has grown up in a world that always has had Twitter feels like they need to make a Twitter account. You know, so like, oh,
1: I see. Um, yeah. Hmm, maybe so I would provide a slightly different perspective where, like, I didn't. I sort of resisted getting all the new accounts as they appeared over time. And now I would imagine that it's sort of a matter of course, not because you think it's something amazing or intriguing, but certain applications or whatever are just what you go into in order to interact in an obviously normal way. Like it's just accepted that this is the mm. way that you know you're going to interact with this pe- these people and this is the way you're going to interact with these people and it's not it's just like obviously that's just what you do mm. well, i don't I know mean, what the kids are into these days i'm <laughs> i'm using <a> generic
0: <laughs> well like, i mean generic. i don't know i think that the kids so i uh, what do i say like and this is i it's hard to extend this too broadly because i also ended up in a Field where your online participation especially of you know 10 15 years ago felt very necessary like spend i i've done i've made a lot of personal websites in my day and hung out on forums and uh you know curated my playlists and bios and and identity like there's the i think that I think that uh it's not nearly as intense as it was to mid 20s me in the you know mid 2000s uh which in my mind it was like the peak of social media curation like eh, like 2009 2010 that kind of thing um I think that uh I so some of it was my role like I said uh, just a des- being a designer you kind of feel like you need to look a specific amount of designery and like make sure you have thoughtful blog posts and like have all of your best work on your slash work part of your website or whatever. But I think that um, there was also just like a feeling of obligation toward uh, the internet as a place that you need to have a presence. Like I, I still get Google alerts of my name, you know, in my email, every, you know, I have that set up from literally whenever they launched that feature, like, you know, years and years ago. It's never me, by the way. It's this kid who's like 5'8", and he's playing baseball in uh, Louisiana. There's a Cameron Daigle down there uh, with an 86-mile-per-hour fastball.
1: Well, how tall and, are you? I'm like 5'10". Okay. I, the way you said 5'8".
0: It, it's only relevant because he's he's like a baseball player who's like pitching and um, he's going to have to play shortstop or something. I hope that guy <laughs> does great, but well, like you know, one day in the future,
1: he, they won't be heightists, and they'll think. <laughs> Remember back in the day, yeah, it was so just bad
0: like, for short people. It's denigrate people. Um, yeah, he he's uh that he doesn't have the build um for the MLB. Uh, who knows? Anyway, uh there's uh there's there's this feeling that I've still kind of fight, and like frankly we still i feel I feel like I still cop to it all the time like i I don't tweet very much, I mostly just favorite dunks um and i I don't write a blog because at, once you become an actual adult, you get a lot more careful about uh how you're going to present yourself online I think which is why and we're
1: Doing hundreds of podcasts saying <laughs> right? whatever that's, we want, right?
0: That's kind of what I was getting is that like we could very easily just have a phone call every week. But this part of me that got broken by the like the internet and the pub the world of self publishing coming up around the my own self identity. I feel like I've always sort of fought that of uh, that sort of feeling of like, you're not doing something unless you're publishing it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, and like, oh, I, fra- okay. I mean, I like the podcast I, to be clear. I think that this is better because it keeps us on our toes. And also I would probably miss a lot more mornings if I didn't know that, like we had to record it. You're and saying that our but,
1: listenership is more important than me. That's, that's what you're saying
0: uh it's there's a performative aspect to this that makes me less flaky (laughs) (laughs) um but you know what i mean there's that that feeling of like it's the it's the uh it's the hanging out in a coffee shop with your laptop open saying working on my novel but like writ large for (laughs) the entire sign
1: around like an actual sign around your neck in the coffee shop (laughs)
0: Well, it's the that you know you could just be working on your novel from home, but you go to the coffee shop so people can see that you're working. Or you know, it's the the internet is that it's this like uh, you 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 uh, you I'm engaging
1: with life,
0: right? Like using my skills to be
1: a better person,
0: right? Like, well, you're engaging with no one really, right? Like you're just sort of yelling into a hole most of the time. Um, but it is it does feel different than being completely offline and alone um whether it's a don't good you ever get suspicious like, that suspicious is not the right word because I don't think people
1: intend to do this, but mm. you know at some level we're looking for uh not just justification but reassurance that what we're doing seems like okay and that like what you're saying we put it out there and we're like hey I'm part of society and blah blah blah, blah.
0: hello it, everyone yeah,
1: yeah like that everyone else is doing that to a degree so when you get that from somebody else that they're just doing it f- for the same reason just a different tactic right mm-hmm. and so it's like a big circle you know the circle the proverbial circle jerk uh Ew. but it doesn't have to be so obvious. It doesn't have to be so, uh, well, disingenuous. It couldn't it be real and people trying, but we have that tendency. And so I always have a, I'm going to call it a healthy suspicion, but let's just put it at a suspicion of when I feel like um, uh, reassured by others that I'm thinking or doing something valuable that they may just be trying to convince themselves of the same thing and so we're just floating on a valueless uh
0: balloon of self-worth <laughs> i yeah you're talking about like you're you're worried that they're saying that your thing is good, so that they're because just they're looking for you to see their thing is good like no
1: well that's that's a little more direct uh, okay. and it, it would be subconscious. It's more like um they're trying to convince themselves that they're part of a value system that has some kind of basis, and so they see the thing you're doing. And they're like, yes, I I will identify with that. I think that that's what should be going on. And um, you're doing the same thing. It, it's sort of like people sort of grouping into groups about what they're doing so that they feel like they're part of something that's what they're supposed to be doing. It's much more self-organizational but also – Worrisome that there's not a good basis of objective oh. uh, reason for it to be valuable. That's what I see <laughs> in this hyper open uh,
0: internet. Existence. Yeah, that's. I'm with you. It's it's sort of a uh, um, well, it's you the know, flat,
1: we the g- flat Earthers have created a miniature reality. That sure.
0: They exist or like an arbitrary community, right? Like the of originally, I, I say originally, I really only mean like a few dozen years ago, uh, there was your limits of the um, sort of community that you could form were very physical. Um, and like, fine, you could get on a newsletter or mailing list or like letter to the editor or whatever. But like, in terms of regular conversation, uh, it was going to be uh, the people physically near you. And the, the thing about people being physically near you is that they're also going to share a lot of other aspects of your existence in a way that makes your community sort of defined by very common things. And like you go back and simplify it enough. And you're talking about like uh, uh, people in a little, you know, an agricultural community or whatever you you you're you're codependent in a very real way. Like the, um, you know, you're you're trading grain or whatever, right? Like there's there's aspects to the community <laughs> around you. They're they're, <laughs> they're near you, but they also like share needs and like problems. Right. And uh, you you know your your coexistence is is and like the nature of your community is uh is due to like a lot of different uh aspects of of your wherever you live but the internet is a place where you can form a community with people who um share nothing with you other than whatever you whatever that topic is that you formed a community around and on one hand that's kind of cool it's like finally i can go hang out with uh everyone else who's mad that firefly was canceled or whatever um what you end up with is like these really intense uh sort of fan communities and like, or, you know, the, fl- I hate to like group flat earthers and fan, like a uh, firefly fan, firefly but, but it's, it's, communities. it's the, it's, there is something to, I think what you're trying to get at, which is like, or the way I'm hearing it anyway, which is that, um, you, the basis of your community is that much more tenuous because it's, it's not a bunch of different things. It's not like a. There's not even like a shared interest in like this, your town or like your neighborhood. Right. It, it's, it, it's nothing. Maybe
1: it creates a false uh, sense of importance, or it's not false, a skewed sense of importance on what is valuable within that community. Right. Uh, that's definitely true.
0: Yeah. I think that's what I'm getting at. It's like, it's not that it's not awesome to go right. uh, find people that like whatever like weird interest that you have, especially when you, you know, you get more into people who, you know, otherwise would be victims of oppression of their local community. Because, uh, I mean, that's a running theme throughout Fire, history, as you right. mentioned earlier. Firefly Fire uh,
1: Fire fans have been oppressed since the beginning
0: of <laughs> the series. I, I meant more like actual social oppression, but yeah, sure. I mean, um, yeah, I
1: mean, that too, but.
0: I actually, yeah. So I met one time. I met one of the guys uh, years and years ago behind the brown coats, which is like the Firefly. Um, yeah, fandom. yeah. He was not nice. He's not a nice man to me. Uh, kind of gave me a bad impression of Firefly fans, as much as I like the show. But um, it is, yeah. There's, there's. Uh, I mean, this is a very Wendell Berry sort of, uh, sort of complaint uh that he gets into a lot have you you've read Wendell Berry stuff right what?
1: Wendell Berry
0: no? I don't know oh man you would really enjoy Wendell Berry he's um he wrote a lot of stuff I've only read some of his non um I probably could get you a specific reference if I look at my bookshelf but he was an essayist is he might still be boy I think he's still alive um he uh he's focuses a lot on the value of community and the value of like uh um, sort of like responsibly building communities that take care of the earth and and uh, take care of each other, and uh, in in and, and the idea that that uh, kind of what we're describing that then interdependence is an important part of caring about each other and like uh, healthy uh, interpersonal interaction, right? Like the. Um, he's big into the idea that we should be uh rotating crops and planting things in uh responsible ways where instead of what we kind of do now which is like there's a zillion acres of corn right <laughs> like there's uh instead we could have little communities that rely on varied gardens and um that's a, actually ecologically better and also results in people uh, going down to their neighbors for food and caring about the people prox- in, in proximity to them, right? It's it's a very, like, he's big into culture by proximity, which the internet is the opposite of that.
1: Uh, yes. Okay, so I like that idea. What? How are we tying that to the... Oh, okay, like- so you're building another... You're building more of a local community a- a to replace the sort of floorless community that springs up on the internet
0: right you you're you're sort of like existential panic about like why why is this community happening like there's a bunch of like un, there's a bunch of like real physical reasons that a community normally happens and then like a shared interest is sort of like a cherry on top of that right it's mm-hmm. like oh my neighbor's really nice I borrow them a cup of sugar from him or whatever and then also it turns out he likes Star Trek or whatever it isn't like right. You don't meet people first by going, all right, time to go on the internet and find 400 people off the entire planet of six or seven billion who all (laughs) like that one episode of Star Trek where they talk the whole time.
1: So there is an element of not restricting, but retarding a certain possibility of progress to ensure a more sustainable and real... Um, part of human society that seems necessary for us to progress, like holistically. Now, why yeah. I'm saying that, I think it's true. I'm also wanting to point out that you you didn't know it, but you're a little bit of a conservative, Cam. I mean, in the traditional wait, sense of
0: the word. Uh oh! Yeah, in the in the traditional sense, of the word. <sighs> sure. Uh, wait. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> I think you're probably you wanna, right. You,
1: to, to preserve and to restrain progress in a responsible way oh. uh, is a very conservative idea. And of course, again, I'm not talking about a political conservatism here, but that is the roots of the ideas about how you uh, pull those things apart. Um, sure. Trying to open the floodgates of progress and find the best good um, in some kind of free-flowing idealism, is the more of the progressive ideal, and then the conservative ideal is to restrain and to uh, organize and to view more of a slow progress to to like m- maintain human society as is. Um, right.
0: Well, the, careful. It's the
1: battle. Which has yeah. always been a good thing as far as, you know, every nobody knows. Like hyper progress goes into very dark places sometimes. Um, right. So there's value in both. Um, and I think what we're discussing is a good version of that. It's, you know, it's not eschewing technology, but it's saying, hey, look, here's something that some, some things that we're losing through this, let's add them back and not say, anything's evil but let's try to get back more of certain aspects of that
0: right well there's i mean we're seeing the destruction as it were of that that progress for progress's sake is reeking uh oh in a lot of ways like the there's a certain like desire for i think like stability or equilibrium when it comes to a lot of things, and I do not mean socially, I mean, technologically and economically and things like that, like, sustainability as a concept is sort of, unless the government comes in, and, uh, for example, unless the government comes in and, and gooses the system, like, provides economic uh, boost, you know, gr- uh, money <laughs> to companies to go, like, make cars that get more than eight miles to the gallon, there's not necessarily going to be then the needle's not going to move there uh, uh otherwise like the um there's a lot of entrenched forces and a lot of different industries and things like that that are not concerned with um stability because stability is counter to growth uh I, what i'm saying is that, <laughs> i guess that like um i don't see a uh stable end game to like unrestrained capitalism, you know,
1: no oh, yeah, certainly, I mean uh, it yeah, people get too connected to certain ideas and they mean certain things to them and their community, and when somebody else talks about it, it seems like that idea is under attack, but it's really not the same idea they're sort of talking past each other or it's you know and so we don't have a lot of those conversations um but speaking of floating communities the internet breeds even on the good end you end up with what i sort of call competition for virtue like virtue competition oh yeah you know it, it it it's so absurd to watch and it's not purely bad because i i i do respect the idea that people want to you know be part of a community that's looking for solutions is what i'm going to refer to as a virtue in this case yeah but it quickly becomes this hyper race to be the most virtuous like and so you replace thinking you know thinking uh methodically about something like new information pops up and you think oh how does this fit in and how can we address this what what starts to happen is you see new information and you try to be the first one to figure out um, just how you can relate that information to something that it needs to be better for so so-and-so does this on the news, you want to be the first one to say why they're not doing it well, or you want to be the first one to say that this is exactly what we should be doing, and it tosses out all these little conversations and side pieces, and it's just like pass-fail, and whoever can be the first one to say pass-fail is the most virtuous in the community, and Mm -hmm. yeah, like it totally kills the point of why the people organized to begin with because it was a they wanted to do good and now they're just like an unthinking loop of ideas
0: well it's i mean i i hate to well
1: i mean that's a hypothetical extreme version that's no, never no, how it fully is
0: <laughs> well uh, there's man there's a lot of stuff there the 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 pro- One of the problems, as I see it, is the uh, availability of platform has no real uh, relationship to the uh, thoroughness of an idea or a position um, at all. Right, there's right, no like more a,
1: gates. Uh, whether right, or not no, they're perfect gates, yeah. any gates does create some more of what you're saying is missing.
0: Right, and I think that as, even early on with something like Twitter, uh, which is the ultimate in flat platforms, right? Like you, you could, I think early on with Twitter, if they thought about it at all, which I really don't think they did, um, they, uh, they probably could justify to themselves that the, uh, the gate was popularity, right? Like the gate is, um, I can say this thing. And if I have, you know, if I have quote unquote earned a hundred thousand followers, then, that is like I have gotten to that platform. It kind of assumes that that platform is that big for um for legitimate reasons mm-hmm. um so the gate ends up being it's supposed to be democratic right It's supposed to be the that the most popular people on Twitter are the one that have ones that have earned it um unfortunately, that is. You know, not actually the case at all. You can go buy for a very shockingly small amount of money. You can go buy a zillion followers. Uh, you can uh, you can wipe. You can take a popular account, wipe it, rename it, change the handle, and it can all of a sudden be a effectively brand new account with ten thousand followers. You can uh, auto. You can. Make your own set of ten thousand followers, all have them follow each other, and then now you have ten thousand followers all with ten thousand followers or you know what I mean <laughs> like there's a bunch of different ways to game that particular system and uh and so and you're i mean I think I'm going a little bit sideways here, but like the the as we talked about like the growth model means that Twitter has no they have little to no incentive to stop any of that because they need to keep looking like they're growing and not stagnating which they 100% have been for at this point years uh their the like user base count has been um has not been doing great uh, so like the, the yeah those gates were important like the the ability to uh earn your audience required that you kind of had to earn your argument a little bit and if those things are gone, and if the, what, what we have as a replacement is that easily abusable, um, at that point, you're just going for maximum attention, right? Like it has nothing to do with the, uh, the thoroughness of your argument. It's, it's, it, it, what that attracts is people who uh, feel no obligation toward good faith arguments. Uh, then you end up with um, people weaponizing virtue, Or weaponizing uh, political correctness or whatever and turning it against other people.
1: So humans can take anything good and hit each other over the head with it.